In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. All who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy? This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 2. Sounds like a deal, doesn't it? This echoes the words Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. If you drink the water I give you, you will never thirst again. The Lord's telling his people, trust in me. I'll provide everything you need and you won't have to pay for it. What do we not have to pay for in life? Well, a gift. This is prophecy. The gift is Christ, the nourishment, eternal life. In my mere humanness, I find it really difficult to let go, not to worry about getting old or if I have enough money to pay the bills or where I'll be in five years. Yet I know if I don't surrender to this truth, I'm saying to God, I don't really believe you're capable of looking after me. I feel ashamed of this doubt. Trusting doesn't mean sitting by the side of life and doing nothing. That's not partaking in the wine and milk referred to by Isaiah. If everything we do glorifies God, then we are partakers. Then we'll realize that eternal life is better than anything we could fashion for ourselves in this life. How wow is that? Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler, and I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Good morning, Texans. Good afternoon, fellow Brits. I hope you're ready for a fabulous day. My guest this week is Lisa Cottrell-Bentley whose goal in life is to empower all people to reach their full potential. An ongoing process, happily taking place with her family on 10 quiet acres in the desert of southern Arizona. So stay tuned and find out more. I'll be talking about our afternoon and evening in town, a birthday weekend, a disappointing artist, London markets, Skype, friends and Bowie. So bring your cereal and juice or your afternoon coffee with a gypsy pie and enjoy this hour with me in England. One of my friends in America, Teresa the Nurse, alerted me to the fact that the choir from a local Episcopal church was going to be singing at Westminster Abbey for a week at the end of July. Furthermore, one of her co-workers at Baylor Hospital sings in the choir and was going to be there. This reminds me of all the times I've been noted for being English in America. I know someone in England, I'm told, and they proceed to give me their name and where they live in the expectation I'll know them, or at least have been to the place where they live. England may look small on the map, but it's not so small that I know everyone. Happily, I could actually say to my friend, yes, I know the church incarnation of Central Expressway. And yes, I know the Abbey just up from Victoria Station in view of Big Ben and Westminster. And yes, we'll go and listen and introduce ourselves to her friend afterwards. The three of us made a special trip uptown to attend the Evensong. 
On arrival, we were told to line up outside the foreboding gate. There's a protocol here. We can get into the Abbey for nothing when attending a service, but under no circumstances were we allowed to let our tourist instincts surface and sightsee. We waited for all the paying tourists to leave before the officials opened the gates and let us in. We were told to keep left down the main aisle and not to take any photographs. Keep our heads down, in other words. This was not a guided tour. But we were still able to see the passage Kate Middleton took when she went to join her future husband, Prince William, a few months ago. And we were able to look up at the towering ceiling, read the inscriptions on the tombs we passed, and admire the stained glass windows. We were ushered into the choir and sat in high-sided stalls on the top row, which was the third one up. We had prime seats. Oh, it was breathtaking to be inside a building that had been founded in 960. The organ was the original one from 1727, with a few renovations, and the stalls were Victorian Gothic and extremely ornate. Some musicians buried in the Abbey are Purcell, John Blow, Ralph Vaughan Williams, Edgar Elgar, and Benjamin Britten have memorial stones. So Evensong for the Feast of James the Apostle started with the prayer of King Henry VI. Sounds so ancient, doesn't it? And all the versicles and responses and the psalms and the prayers and the final anthem were sung by the Incarnation Choir and they were accompanied at times by the harpsichord in addition to the 300-year-old organ. The only composer of all of this music I recognised was Anton Bruckner. After about 45 minutes, we were ushered out after the choir and were allowed to veer off the beaten track along a forbidden stone corridor to meet my friend's friend. I took a photo of us and sent it back to Garland, hoping I'd snapped the right person. I had visions of Teresa opening her email and wondering, who on earth are Vivian and Larry with? But she didn't. She was thrilled. While we were up in town, we went to see a musical, just because we could. First stop, though, because someone was hungry, was Covent Garden to eat our sandwiches in the churchyard we haunt regularly. Then we went to the Adelphi Theatre on the Strand to see Love Never Dies by Andrew Lloyd Webber, his sequel to The Phantom of the Opera. We had nosebleed seats, but were able to move forward a few rows to fill in the gaps in the upper balcony. Malia was worried that, one, she'd fall overboard. The seats are awfully steep way up there. And two, she wouldn't be able to follow the story because she didn't have a programme, but she need not have feared. It was well told and the music was powerful, as were the voices. Shame it's closing at the end of this month, only after two years in the West End. How much better does a show have to be in order to be a success, I wondered. Perhaps Andrew waited a little too long after Phantom to bring out the sequel. Maybe the public saw it as an afterthought, or was it designed as an advertising ploy to coincide with the silver anniversary of its forerunner? Whatever the reason, the public obviously don't want to see a dark love story when Shrek, Legally Blonde and Lion King, among others, are currently enjoying smash hits. On our way home, we rounded out the evening by interrupting our journey to visit a little pub on Victoria Street that hasn't changed since the Victorian days, and it actually sits on three roads. It's old-fashioned, and it's called the Albert, and looks as good inside as it does outside, well worth a brief pause for half. Well, I don't know if I've said this before or if you've guessed, but I thrive on schedules, have to set the English way, and timetables. If I were a train, I'd be in hog heaven. I watched the digital clock on the station platform count down in seconds the time before the train departs. And right on the dot, not a moment too soon, the station master blows his whistle 
and the final door closes and we're off. There are timetables that can be picked up from stations. They're even online now. So I'm able to calculate my departure from home or my park or a library to coincide quite satisfactorily so I'm not left waiting, hanging around on a platform in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do. Don't have a Kindle. Don't carry a book. Don't have a bag big enough. This is what I am like. I enjoy having everything on paper so that I can look at my gloriously organized day and know not a minute will be wasted. I'm a good steward of my time. At the beginning of the school year, I draw up schedules for each of us. Of course, I included myself. The days were carefully mapped out on paper and I began the term with a great sense of optimism. It took me a long time to realize that this form of schooling is a bit excessive. And with small, two, well, how many? Four small children thrown into the mix, not at all practical where nerves are concerned. We'd been happily homeschooling for a few years when I read something that pulled me up sharply and I was brought to my senses with a resounding, no, let me explain. Fridays, although traditionally a laid-back day in the homeschooling community, became the bane of my existence and the children's too in the end. Why? I didn't really accomplish any textbook teaching on Fridays. I used the more relaxed day to achieve all the things I'd been putting on the back burner for the week. Unfortunately, this included time for myself. By time for myself, I meant a couple of hours to pursue my passion, writing. I'd gear the day to spend... Um, I'd gear the day to spend two hours at my self-imposed 2 p.m. deadline writing so casual friday mornings became a race with the clock we'd rush from one unusual activity to the next at home the boys would do their weekly math test and other dangling assignments the girls would finish off tallying all the subjects they'd covered that week dating and putting check marks on the daily boxes and offering to complete the boys work records for them too at a price sheets on the beds would be changed laundered folded and stashed away by lunchtime we'd clean the ch- We'd clean. The children had assigned rooms and we usually tackled this task together just after lunch when all the other work was finished. I'd say to the children, let's spend one hour. Then if we multiply that hour by the five of us, we've produced five man hours of housework. I was the only one who appreciated this. My offspring groaned, a whole hour, mum. Only an hour, I point out. What if it doesn't take an hour, asked my wild man, Simon. Then you can come and help me do something else. He became an expert at stringing chores out. As I drew closer to my deadline, I'd get antsy, hoping nothing unexpected would happen to take time away from myself. Casual Fridays always worked on paper, but it was a little too fine-tuned to work in action. I considered rising earlier to start the day at 7am, but we did that every other morning and I wanted Fridays to be completely different. By lunchtime, if we'd slipped a few minutes off the timetable, I began to feel the inklings of pre-2pm stresses fluttering in my tummy. At the lunch table, when the children started messing around or just exercising their right to be children, I could feel the anxiety mount into my chest. With the clarity of hindsight, I realised that as fast as I was wanting to get on with the cleaning, they were wanting to delay the agony. As I said before, I'd been reading and the particular book that made me say no dealt with stress and its causes. I flipped through a chapter on deadlines and schedules. Believe it or not, I had not made any connection between my feelings of anxiety and stress leading to my habitual end of week loss of call and my two o'clock writing deadline. 
Now I understood why I was getting so difficult to live with on Friday afternoons. For years, I put it down to not looking forward to cleaning and contrary children who would not behave. Now here I was reading about deadlines and schedules and causing stress. Of course, I ignored it. I am the producer personality type in the family, after all, the classic textbook learner and lover of timetables and deadlines. How could what I loved and thrived on be the cause of such internal grief? I was aghast. After a few more weeks of recognition and reluctant acceptance of what was happening, I was willing to change my schedule to restore harmony among the troops. I cancelled my deadline. This was such an amazing success that I carried it over into other parts of my life. It may have taken me many more years. And How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hello, everybody. This is Pete Dix asking if you'll join me on Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. What a show I've got in store for you. Not only all the Apple reissues that I'll be looking at, some very rare tracks indeed, a report on my evening watching and listening to... Neil Innes of the Ruttles and the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. So please join me, Pete Dix, with Beatles and Beyond on this radio station. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm but I can tell you I don't lock myself into these schedules anymore. I can honestly say that if things don't go exactly according to plan, I shrug, breathe, and tweak. Praying has helped, putting God first, of course. Yoga has really aided me in cementing my desire to release, surrender, and be kind to myself. Today, I manage to write daily. I don't have a specific time, but I sit down for two-hour increments and do everything associated with the writing process, including answering emails and surfing the net. Ugh. 
Sometimes my two hours are taken in segments. I can do that too because some of my writing requires only 30 minutes. So does some of my cooking and cleaning. I no longer write out a timetable, although I do still carry a leaflet of train times. I thrive instead on lists. I keep a pad of paper next to me at all times. I jot down things to do as I think of them and refer to my current page whenever I have a down moment. I can cross off several things at a time. In a mere 10 minutes, I can polish a mirror, clean windows, vacuum the whole flat. I amaze myself. I go to bed an hour later, too, because I write in the wee hours to make up for all the other things I do that I enjoy, too. I feel so much more flexible and mature. My feelings of anxiety and worry over keeping time are definitely tempered. But then I am down to one child, and she's a young adult now, so I have no convenient scapegoat to blame when I'm interrupted. Not that I mind these days. I actually find I enjoy her interrupting my schedule with cries of, who's going to play with me when she's had enough of Facebook? We have a cup of coffee or share a pizza, or we go into town to grocery shop because I know she's going to be gone soon. My laptop will always be there. So see if you can break the schedule habit and be a little bit more flexible. And that's coming from somebody who loves to be scheduled. Anyway, enough of that. This morning, I'm delighted to be welcoming back Lisa Cottrell-Bentley, author, publisher, and owner of the company Do Life Right. Lisa, an unschooler, sometimes a radical one, raises her two girls, now almost 15 and 11, with her husband on 10 quiet acres in the southern Arizona desert. But don't let the tranquil sound of their environment trick you. She and her girls write books about homeschoolers on the road without any major physical or emotional issues to hamper them as they get on with their exciting and often hair-raising adventures. Each book is a guaranteed escape from your life and ends happily every time. And that's not all. So let's talk to Lisa. Welcome to my show. It's been a long time. How are you? Yes, it has. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you, thank you. And I was I was just talking a little bit about my scheduling and writing and stuff like that, and I thought, yes, I know that you have those kinds of scheduling problems and tweakings too, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I think that's just called life. Part of <laughs> I'm life. trying to fit it all in. Well, if yeah. you want to fit it all in, then you just have to be a little bit more organized, so... Well, first off, and, and I, oh, are we on a delay? Um, I want to remind our listeners about a little bit about yourself and your family. So can you tell us a little bit about um, who you are, where you live and your family? Yes. Well, you did a great introduction of me, so there's not a lot more to say. We, I am a radical unschooling mother of two, and we live in southern Arizona, um, just south of Tucson, um, on 10 quiet acres, which we really enjoy. Um, we, I am an author and a publisher, and um, currently have... Um, we currently, my publishing company currently has seven books out with five more that are scheduled um, out later this year. And I'm so excited um, because our focus is to publish children's books as well as young adult books. And I'm hoping to get a, a, an adult book or two um, within the next year who fe- they feature um, homeschoolers as the primary characters so that 
it really shows what homeschooling is like today because it's so different um, how homeschoolers are today compared to how they were a hundred years ago or even fifty years ago, and um, and it's just so exciting to be the owner of this company because we are putting the first books out there about a, a neglected segment of our population. Absolutely, absolutely. You're so right. Um, you have a story about um, why you started to write books about homeschoolers. One of your daughters was looking for a book or something like that. So would you like to tell us about that? Sure, sure. When Zoe was uh, around seven, she was um, a very early reader, so she was already reading novels and such, and, and I, I threw new books at her literally daily because she was a very thick reader as well. And um, one day we were um, playing in the swimming pool, and I asked her, so how's, how are the books that you've been reading lately? And she says, oh, they're awful. And I said, oh, why is that? She said, because all um, they always involve parents who um, who either are um, aban- who have abandoned the children, or else they're neglectful in some way, and the kids in the stories don't like each other, and, and they said, "Oh, that that is horrible." And um, come to find out, that's the that's the norm. <laughs> and and I said said, so what What kind of story would you like? And she, you know, she knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted stories about homeschoolers like her who actually did fun things with their parents, who liked their parents, who liked their siblings. And, and so one thing led to another, and um, we wrote a series called the Right on Time series, and there are now four books out, and um, and. They are about an RV living homeschooling family who travel the USA. So, so each book is set in a different state, and so there will be it will be a fifty book series when all is done. And we're working on um, a research guide for the first four books um, currently, actually, which is very exciting. And that's what they're about. All right. So tell them. So. You're working on a book estate, so that's 50 books, and you're, um, you've just released your fourth one. But I looked at some of your release schedule for your next ones, and it seems as though you can knock these out quite fast, or, or I mean, are they really long? Do you go to the states that you write about? I mean, do you make that part of your experience? Yes, we do. Um, it is a goal of ours, actually, to go to all 50 U.S. states uh-huh. before my oldest is 18. She's almost 15 now, and we've been to 40 states. And okay. we have plans to go to um, at least two more this year, mm-hmm. um, hopefully more than that. <laughs> and so, yes, we go to all the states, and um, it takes it takes a lot of research, of course, both you know online research and as well as uh, in person research for each book. Um, then I write them, and then there's um, it takes about three months, well, or longer, at least three months for the illustrator to illustrate the book because they're they're very well illustrated. They're children's chapter books, which are that in between picture books and novels age. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the often neglected age where kids still need a little help with reading, and so they like lots of pictures. Okay. And um, before uh, we go any further with this, I really do want to talk about your amazing um, sort of skills at what you do as far as homeschooling and these these girls of yours. Um, I think last time uh, we spoke about your older daughter a lot, and we didn't talk quite so much about your younger daughter. And I found out 
um, that she talks she talks about favicons, and I thought, oh, what's a favicon? So I went and looked it up. So I now know what a favicon is, and I would like you to tell us what it is and what it is that your younger daughter does. Well, Tegan, who is currently 10, almost 11, she is, she has a very big entrepreneurial spirit. And so she's always wanted to make money, but only doing things that she loves. And she's, um, she's very much a designer. And so she actually started her own company about, um, well, I guess it's been more than a year now. So she, she was only nine when she started it. And it's called TeganScreations.com. And on her website, she sells, um, two things, actually, well, three. Um, but the main one is favicons. And what that is is when you go uh, on a website browser and you look up and there's this little tiny picture next to the URL that mm-hmm. shows where you are, that picture is a favicon. And if you can really tell, um, she was noticing that she could really tell when a website was like a real website versus one that she shouldn't um, Beyond, because we spent a lot of time talking about what, you know, internet safety. And she was noticing that, you know, places, you know, big name places always had a favicon, but the smaller places often didn't. And she said, wow, that's one way to tell if it's professional or not. And so then she started noticing a few that we did trust who didn't have favicons. So she started making favicons and now she sells them. And she really enjoys that. Um, she also, within the past year, she wrote a, a, a middle grade novel herself, and that's also for sale on her site. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called um, Novel Concept, and it's just this absolutely wonderful um, book for like the ten to twelve year olds in your life. <laughs> and so she's very, she's very talented. Um, and, and those aren't even her main interests. <laughs> um, she's also she also dances a lot, and she's very physically um, very physically capable. She's a, a ballerina um, and dances several times a week. And um, her, her biggest, her most recent biggest accomplishment is that um, she is actually in the movie the the Sundance movie Life in a Day, um, oh, showing okay. off her, her skills of solving the Rubik's Cube while hula hooping. So oh, no. <laughs> um, she's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, um, thank you very much for talking about um, your younger daughter a little bit. And um, we've got to go on a short break, just a 90-second break here. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Lisa Cottrell-Bentley, a radical unschooler who keeps herself busy. She does one thing at a time. Her children come first, but as they get older and more involved in their own businesses, she is able to dedicate more time to what she likes to do, which is writing her own fiction, editing other authors' work, marketing her company, doing interviews. Thanks, Lisa, for being here this afternoon, morning, taking care of finances, and she publishes books, and her publishing company is getting more and more books. So I I just really don't imagine how you can keep up with all of that. Thank goodness there are 24 hours in a day. Her girls are brilliant and love being together with their five house cats on their 10 acres. So treat yourself to um, 
another cup of tea or whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening to me as well as listening. And we'll be back in about 90 seconds. And it looks as though I probably have about 30 seconds. So um, when we come back, be ready because I'm going to ask you about how your exogeologist is doing. And I actually looked her up and she had interviewed the astronaut. And my husband said, oh, he's the one whose wife was shot in the parking lot. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes, yes. yes. Yes, yes so, it happened. But she interviewed him last year, so before that happened. Before that, and yeah. So now, so she had a personal connection when she heard that news. I'm sure. But anyway, the yes. music is coming, and we'll be back in just a few moments. So stay with us. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on Toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, FairytaleWishesInc.com. And for Deanna, TheNextBigZing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on Toginet.com. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, Lisa, so tell us how your um, daughter, who's the exogeologist, is coming on. The last time I spoke, I think she was um, just amazing, everyone at college and some of the courses that she's taking. So tell us a little bit more. Uh, she, Zoe is doing great. She has the website exogeologyrocks.com if you want to uh, see, see what she's been up to. And her biggest thing right now is, well, she's finishing up a chemistry class, and a college chemistry class right now, but she's also been, we've been traveling a lot, and in our travels, she's been uh, making uh, Jeopardy-style video clues about the world, and she um, she has a series of exogeology-related ones and NASA-related ones, as well as just random things about the places that we've been traveling to. And so her her next big thing is to actually put 
those games online on her website um, so that people can play them and um, and possibly win prizes like Exogeology Rocks t-shirts and such. And she's very excited about that. It's um, and um, the only reason she she's always reminding me that we need to figure out how to get it onto Facebook because um, it's difficult to get a game onto Facebook, and um, so that's her her biggest challenge too. And um, she's yeah, so she's very busy. Well, um, I was going to ask you how do you because she's very very academically strong and is way yeah. beyond her years in her knowledge that she has about um, science and and how she can talk kind of intelligently to people about rocks in outer space. Um, how do you keep her as a child? I mean, how do, how do you keep that, um, you know, the child in childhood was the name of one of my chapters in my book. Um, and it sounds as though, you know, she does that herself by pursuing or turning her passion into also um, sort of enjoyable ventures and business ventures. Yes. Well, and, and part of it is she knows she can feel how um, how so many things that she's wanted to do as a child she hasn't um, there hasn't been enough information for kids out there but only adults mm-hmm. and so she's actually taken um, her interests into an advocacy for children and that's why she's purposely made her website um, teen and kid friendly versus the adult type websites that have the same information out there she's she's made hers um, for kids, even though um, she gets many fan letters from adults also, but um, so, who love it. But she she really feels it's important to to have it be in a kid friendly way, so that so that kids can stay kids. And um, um, we we play as a family. I mean, keeping her a kid, be, you know, while she still is, um, that is important to me, and I don't want her to uh, to grow up too quickly. And so we we follow her, um, and we don't just send her off on the adventure she wants to do. Um, she she likes to, she one of the things she does is she goes to all the different NASA's around the country, and um, we go with her, and we actually um, we plan the whole trip for for the her as a kid and we make sure we do fun kid things as well as just the scientific NASA stuff Mm -hmm. and um that that's such a wonderful um concept well it seems to be a novel concept when you look at some of these young adult um books that are at the library that you know siblings actually enjoy being together and children actually enjoy being with their parents and i interviewed a man from australia who had knew nothing about the homeschooling um, community at all until he met homeschoolers and he went wow these families really enjoy being together. He was really impressed, and he, it turned him to a homes, into a homeschooler. And I think we're given this false, I don't know why these books are out there that really do say, you know, in order for it to succeed, one of the parents has got to die, the siblings have to be at odds with one another all the time. And, you know, it, that just makes, I'm so happy that you're writing these books and, and putting it out there that this is not really how life is. 
Yes, it's really not. Every, you know, everyone I meet, um, when I tell them this story, they're like, but I like my siblings. And, and yeah. sure, I might have argued with my parents a few times, but they always had my back and they always loved me and I always loved them. And I'm like, yes, that's what, that's what life is about is our, our relationships with the, the people we love. Yeah. And, making more friends who we love and um, showing that in fiction it has become my passion and that's what I'm looking for in every book I sign on and that's just so important in showing that you can have exciting adventures without horrible um, relationships <laughs> you yeah. can still you can even throw bad things at the characters but they still have those relationships and that's really important all right, so um, with your company, how how are you different from a self-publishing company, or are you? I am a lot different. I am an independent publishing company, and so that's a, uh, a very small, that, that's what independent means, is small. Mm-hmm. And I pay royalties. None of my authors or illustrators um, pay me anything. Um, we actually, um, I use the proceeds from all of the other books that are published in order to sign on new authors, and I give them a much higher percentage um, of their earning uh, of the royalties from their books than a traditional publisher, um, but it's, still, it's less than if you self-publish, but yet um, you're, you get the marketing and um, signing on with Do Life Right, Inc., which is a brand in itself. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so with self-publishing, you have to pay for everything yourself, and if you sign on with a publishing company, that the publishing company pays you, the author, or you, the illustrator, um, and that's how we're different. <laughs> okay, and um, so you, you've got um, several different um, authors plus yourself, so you're, you're doing your, your own books, and um, how do you, um, you know, encourage people do you get lots of admissions and you have to sort of disappoint some people how, do, how does that work i mean you have to send out those yes letters. So yes um, you can go to do life right com to see our our submission um qualifications and i do receive a lot i receive well it, it kind of ebbs and flows um about well in in may i received um a, a lot of submissions and um and the first thing i do is i look to see if the book is actually about a homeschooler and if it's not then it's an easy i'm really sorry but yeah. no matter how great your book is we won't publish it um, because we're sticking firm to publishing books where the one of the main characters, ideally the main character, is a homeschooler um, and, um, and a homeschooling family. Um, that would be fine, too. And so then, then I actually start reading them, and if I like a book... If I like a manuscript that is submitted to me, then I actually have a team of readers as well as a board of directors who the book has has to get past in order for us to say yes. Uh And so um, once that happens, once my team likes it as well as I like it, and then my board of directors says yes, we're willing to actually 
put money into it, <laughs> then we uh, then we start publishing it. We you know do the stand everything that a traditional publishing company does, except for a bit faster because um, we keep how many books we say yes to very low um, while we can afford it, and we're just we're growing slowly and um, we're open open to growing faster, but but we're we're just keeping it under control and not getting out of hand. So mm-hmm. and so are your children. Right now, are your children I'm sorry. reading team? Are your children part of the reading team? Uh, they they are, um, although they don't always have time. <laughs> and so so when they have time, they they are part of the team. And then when they're they're really busy, um, like my older daughter is right now, um, then then she's not reading yeah. any of my submissions. I might give her a quick. Oh, I received a book. You know, I, I'll give the elevator pitch for the book to her when we're just, you know, sitting around, yeah. um, you know, having supper or something. And um, she'll say, "Oh, you know, save that one for me." You know, when I have time. But I also have a team of teens, and um, that I run everything past because it's really important to me that. Children and teens tell me if a book is good or not, you know, because no matter how great I think a book is, if it's a book for children and teens, and I'm not the target audience for that book, and so I might my views might be old fashioned or something, and that's happened a few times where I really really loved a book, and they've my whole team has said no way that is so outdated. There's no way that that anyone would like it who who would be reading it. And so I've had to pass, and I've actually told those authors the feedback that I've received, and a few have even t- turned around and um, rewritten the concept and brought it back to me, and um, I'm very interested in publishing that in the future because it's rewritten to be modernized, and that's really important to me. Okay, well, I want to talk now about your happiness flow chart because I really love that concept. I love, I love the fact that your younger daughter is an entrepreneur, but she doesn't want to be doing anything that she doesn't really want to do. So um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your happiness flow chart. Okay. Um, uh, we were asked, my older daughter and I were asked to speak at a homeschooling conference um, earlier this year. And so as we prepared our talk for that, um, we started talking a lot about um, happiness and our own lives and what makes us happy and what makes us not happy. And this, um, she, well, um, she's very academically <laughs> minded, um, like you, we've said before. Um, and so she started saying, well, this looks, you know, these questions that we are asking ourselves about happiness and how to know if we're happy as a family as well as individually, it sounds a lot like a computer program. And my husband is a computer engineer, so we've talked a lot about um, computer programming in our family. And and we're like, yes, that's a brilliant idea. You're, you're exactly right. It would logically make a flow chart. 
And at that time, um, neither of my daughters really knew what a flow chart was because um, we just didn't use it on a regular basis. <laughs> and so we started uh, writing these questions down and showing them how you could turn that into a flow chart. <laughs> and the next thing we knew, it was we covered multiple whiteboards in our house because we have a whole bunch. And we then we typed it all. My daughter typed it all up, and it was it was like, you know, hundreds of questions of how to, how to become happy, how to be happy, um, how to determine if you are happy. And, and it was just pages and pages long. And so then we realized that was completely out of control. And so together as a family, we condensed it down to two pages um, of a flow chart. And hey, Lisa, uh, we're gonna really- to, I'm going to have to interrupt you here because we're going on a break. Yeah. But I do want to continue with this because I know you have it on your website. And it's a fascinating flow chart. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Season Me is on Toginet, a delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twyla Belk. Tuesday nights at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands, When a Man You Loved Was Abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers. And Twyla Belk is an effervescent force known as the Gotta Tell Somebody Gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website, Cecil Murphy, that's P-H-E-Y dot com. And for Twyla, GottaTellSomebody.com. The show, Season Me, is a far-reaching, faith-based, shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcome. A chance to get everything out in the open. From questions about writing, to surviving sexual abuse, to the topics of the day. All from a Christian worldview to help you. Season Me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk. Tuesday evenings at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Lisa and I, before we got cut off for the second break, we're talking about her happiness flowchart and how it started with 
hundreds of questions. And obviously, you can't market a flowchart that, you know, somebody's got to plow through like 30 or 40 pages to try and get the answer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was reading, I was going through your flowchart, and I thought, how the heck did you get it down to just a manageable two pages? So talk a little bit It was really about hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as well as some creative, you know, shoving questions around and combining questions. It was really hard. Um, we, we've really, we really found the process quite enjoyable, though, and we've had a lot of feedback from people who listened to our talk as well as just read, read the flowchart and, and how helpful it has been. But it's been helpful for us, too, uh, because I think, well, like everybody, there, there seems to be big life uh, questions that come up quite quite frequently, at least a, at least a couple times a year of, you know, what should I do? You know, what, what, what focus do I want to take um, with my new interest or my, you know, my new desire or just some sort of life circumstance? And so we've already used the flowchart ourselves um, several times in order to help make decisions for what we want to do next. And um, it's been very helpful. It's available on my blog, uh, which is just doliferight.com. It's one of the recent posts that I put it up there. So anyone who wants to download it, um, feel free to. Um, and if anybody, I also have the associated talk with it, and um, which is for sale on my website. But um, if anybody sends me an email telling me how they really want to listen to it, then I'll, I send them the link for free. Um, mm -hmm. So if any of your readers want to do that, I'm happy to send them um, send them the talk for free. Well, that um, sounds so good. Yeah, the whole but thing. If, we, if we just go to um, do life right, that pretty you, we can pretty much get everywhere. We can find your right on time books and um, yeah, and we can yes, find it, it, yes, you've got you links can. to your children's um, websites yes, too. That's a yeah. good uh, focus place. That that is my blog, and so I've had that for years and years and years, and it has something like seven hundred posts on it, and okay. and so lots and lots of personal stuff as well as business things, um, and but. From there, you can go to uh, Do Life Right, Inc., as well as my writeontimebooks.com, which is solely about my series of children's chapter books, and that's a very full site itself. Okay. So um, the process of being happy is an ongoing one, because what made you happy maybe three or four years ago might not be doing the same job anymore, and you suddenly go, oh, why? Now what am I going to do? You know? Oh, um, yes. I think it's yeah, much more frequently than that even, because yeah. just we change, we grow, and, and we meet new people, and just life is perpetually in motion. Mm -hmm. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's um, kind of early morning for you and it's latish. No, it's about three o'clock, coming up to three o'clock for me in the afternoon. So um, thank you so much. You just sound so busy, but you have time. It's part of the marketer in you um, to come and, um, um, you know, sort of talk about what you do and inspire the everybody else out there. I've been chatting to Lisa Cottrell-Bentley, an unschooler of two girls who are 15 and nearly 11, and they have achieved some impressive goals themselves. Lisa and her family have written four books in their series of children's chapter books about a homeschooling family who travel around America in their RV. And we talked about her happiness flowchart, and um, Lisa has been read, heard, and seen in many venues. Go to her website, which is her main blog site, the easiest one to go to, www doliferight.com Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. You have a wonderful weekend. 
Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, there's a town close to us here. It's two stops down the train line. It's called Dulwich. It's home to the famous Dulwich College, a public school, meaning an exclusive private school here, where the fees are as high as the standards and the academic requirements are rigorous. It's a no-nonsense school. There, my husband and I went to the first purpose-built public art gallery in England, founded in 1811, and we found a lot of masters there, Rembrandt, Gainsborough, Constable, Van Gogh. And there was also a special exhibit that we had to pay extra for. We had no idea who the artist was, but we paid the extra for it. And really, I think there are some artists that really don't need to be seen. This um, man, his name was Cy Twombly. It was just scribble-scrabble on a canvas. And in fact, some of it was just random words. And one was just rows and rows and rows of cursive E's, which is exactly what we used to do and I used to have our children do on yards of butcher block when they were learning how to write. I was, I was going through the exhibit and I was thinking, are these artists really pulling the wool over your eyes? Do the critics and art connoisseurs really think they're that great? And who's laughing all the way to the bank? I hate being made a fool of. His work did nothing for me, so we spun through the exhibit in record time. And next time, I think we'll ask for a preview before we pay extra money to go and see an unknown to us, at least, artist. Well, it was my blue-eyed cowboy's birthday on Saturday, and we spent the whole weekend surprising him. The abiding room in rule in our homeschooling household is to celebrate birthdays for a week, and this is as close as an adult has ever come to the week-long remembrance of their historic occasion, so my Texan was happy. Instead of our usual fish and chips on Friday night, we took him to a fancy schmancy Italian restaurant on the high street called Pier Luigi's. Malia there tasted her first martini, very strong, lasted all evening, and her first mussels swimming in a fragrant tomato basil broth, which she failed to notice in her enthusiasm to take a culinary picture, and she spilled red soup all over the white linen tablecloth. Our waiter, a very attentive Latin, nearly had a fit trying to clean up the mess without embarrassing us completely by changing the whole tablecloth. He ended up by bringing us a large white linen napkin to cover the incriminating red spillage. For the rest of the evening, he was obsessed with moving our glasses and plates and cutlery around if he deemed them out of place. But the rest of the meal was uneventful until we asked for a doggy bag, which came as a very neatly wrapped tin foil package. We laughed. We went home for cake, handmade by me, with a little help from Delia Smith. My Bromley barista daughter opens Starbucks at dawn. Not really. Her first bus doesn't go until 5.48 in the morning, so she has to get in as close to 6 as she can. Anyway, on that Saturday, she sent, spent, sent her dad three happy birthday text messages during the, the morning. How sweet. And uh, she says she keeps sending him texts on his new phone so that he has practice answering them. Um, when she came home from work, worn out from her day, we had coffee and another piece of the souffle chocolate mousse cake I'd made and opened cards and presents outside on the sunny for a change patio and then it was time for surprise number two we told hubs to dump the wheelie basket we were taking him on yet another surprise excursion that did not involve grocery shopping this time we went to a quaint little outdoor amphitheater in bromney to see a bowie cover band called aladdin sane i have to admit the crowd were all our age malia was the youngest there she didn't feel 
out of place or anything like that. She had no idea what kind of music she was going to be listening to, only that we had told her it was the best rock and roll. Um, when the band came on, I thought I was going to regret the evening and was ready to leave until about the second song when I realised that not only were they superb, the singer sounded exactly like David Bowie. From then on, we enjoyed ourselves and gradually it became darker and darker. There was a brief intermission. All kinds of things were sold during the intermission. You wouldn't believe it. There were soft drinks and coffee, beer and wine, chicken wraps and hand hamburgers. It was like a little outdoor restaurant. They played for another 90 minutes after the break and each song was incredible. People got up to dance in the grassy areas. They do that here. And everyone sang along. Our journey home on the bus was the fastest we've ever done it. The driver, it must have been his last run of the night, got us home in 10 minutes flat, shaving at least five minutes off the usual journey, skidding around the corners in this great big bus. Anyway, uh, my brother had left um, a bottle of champagne and a card on the uh, kitchen counter. So that was lovely. And to change the pace a bit on Sunday after mass, we went to... Um, a market. We went to Petticoat Lane, which used to be a must when I was younger. It was a disappointment. So we carried on to Camden, went to the horse stables where there are antique stalls and vintage clothing set up. And um, if you look up in the street, if you look up at the buildings, there are 3D styrofoam figures leaping out at you from the outside. Um, outside walls of the, feel of the buildings. Um, there were locks down there. Um, the, there was food around the locks and there were barges and the water was actually thick with algae reminded me of the way my pool maybe looks right now with all the heat going on um, the locks still operate we watched a couple of barges go through and tourists can ride up the locks to um, London Zoo in them as well as other destinations anyway um, and there was food all kinds of food being cooked in the open air Turkish Indian Rastafarian African looked delicious Anyway, uh, before we close um, this afternoon, I have a funny observation that Malia made about her Skyping and DVD watching. She loves to watch Friends. It keeps her company in her room while she's waiting for people to call her. Then when she accepts their call, she imagines her DVD immediately pauses. And with this in mind, she accepted a call from her blonde, blue-eyed brother and said hello, and she heard a knock on the door. Thinking it was from his end, she asked him where he was. In response, he asked her where she was. They do that to each other, repeat questions back and forth. Nothing unusual so far in the exchange. Then she heard what sounded like kissing sounds and thought her brother was with someone. As she was telling me this, her colour rose in her cheeks and she began to laugh, and her brother said, ''Are you with someone?'' And then they both hung up thinking they'd happened upon an accidental Skype connection. Still laughing, she continued to explain that she discovered she still had an episode of Friends playing. It hadn't paused at all. This is what they were both hearing. She called her brother back and they both had a good laugh. Malia said it was one of the most awkward Skype moments either of them had ever had. Well so much for Skype. I couldn't work without it and I've rattled on for another whole hour so I'll wrap up until next week. The kiddos are off sightseeing all weekend, taking in Salisbury, the required Stonehenge and Bath before taking the bus to Paris. So good times ahead without the kiddos, meaning Malia and her boyfriend who is visiting. He visited, he arrived yesterday. Um, so without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three 
in Texas, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Lisa Cottrell-Bentley, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, and many others who are part of my growing audience. Remember to listen to my friend, Sandy Fowler, host of Heartfield Holidays, Mondays at 1 Central, and Ali Lapreet later on tonight or this afternoon at 5 p.m. Central. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet.